great privilege to be here. It's always uh, good to be up in uh, Southampton in August, so uh, I want to pat myself on the back for making it out here and uh, congratulate you for having the good sense to be here. I was so excited to be here that I brought my wife to Fodswell Long and my brother-in-law and sister-in-law Angelica into Piwa, so uh, we, we made an excursion out of it, so thank you for having it as having us. As uh, Mark mentioned, we've known each other a long time. I've been following the work of this church since Mark moved out here to establish this work and um, walked with Mark through a lot of the ups and downs that he's had along the way. And I'm just uh, really happy to be here today. I, I know that the existence of this church and our gathering today is a testimony not just to Mark's work, but to the dedication, the sacrifice and the commitment of so many of you. So it's uh, just a blessing to be a participant in all of that. Our scripture today is First uh, John chapter, uh, excuse me, First Peter chapter two, starting in verse four. I guess it's up on the screen there if you'd like to follow along. You come to him, that is Jesus, the living stone, who was rejected by humans, but chosen by God and is precious to him. And you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. Father, now we have received mercy. Thank you for that mercy. Help us to live in that mercy, and I pray that you would show us how your mercy towards us can give us hope and can bring us together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've all been through a lot in the last few years with the crisis surrounding the pandemic and the shutdowns and everything else, and it's affected every area of our life, but for me and for Mark, and I think for many of you, one of the areas of life that we're most uh, aware that it has affected is the life of the church, the life of the people of God, and what it means to gather as a people of God. It seems that so many people had gotten into the habit of going to church, and then when the shutdowns happened, everybody, or a lot of people, not you people, but other people, got out of the habit of going to church and started doing different things, maybe just catching a little inspirational message on YouTube on Sunday morning, listening to a few of their favorite worship songs or something 
of that nature. And so there's been this steep decline in uh, traditional religious observance and church attendance over the last uh, three years. And this is across the board. What's happened is a lot of small churches have shut down. They've, turned, they've thrown in the towel, even in our presbytery, even, even among the churches that we're related to. And a lot of the large churches and the prosperous churches are 60% or 50% even of what they once were before the pandemic, of what they were even in 2019. And so we've seen this decline in the church, this decline in people who profess to be followers of Christ, this decline in people who identify as Christians. And, uh, you know, the interesting thing is, even as that has happened, there's been something of a rise in the practice of spirituality, a rise in the interest in getting in touch with the spiritual side of life. In fact, the fastest growing category for Americans right now is people who describe themselves as spiritual but not religious. Have you heard that line before? That's actually a thing, and I think it's, it's particularly a good thing to, uh, to use to shut down people who try to invite you to church or try to invite you to their grace group or something like that, say, oh, well, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. It's not a good way of saying, I'm, I'm fine without all of that stuff. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, there's a good reason that people are down on religion. Because in our day and age, it seems you can't turn on the news or, or, or scan your news feed without hearing another story of hypocrisy in religion, of moral failure, of spiritual failure, of organizational failure among some established religious organization. And, and it seems that all religion generates is a, this kind of hypocrisy. You know, the church is always asking people for money, and then there's these exposés of how that money is being abused by the very people who are asking, asking their followers to sacrifice to support them. The church is always writing these, these rules for, for sex that seem completely out of step with the world we live in, and then we find out that the very leaders of the church, the very people who preach these strict rules, don't follow them at all in their own personal life. And, uh, and another thing that I've seen in my life, that I've seen around in, in the church, is a lot of people who are very committed to dogma, a lot of people who are very committed to religion and religious observance and to getting all of their doctrines right, for some reason it doesn't help them in their personal life. And they're still the meanest or the most dysfunctional, or the most corrupt or the most addicted of all the people, even though their dogma's right, even though their doctrine's right, even though their, their religion is, is all carefully examined, it doesn't really make them better people. And so it makes normal people say, who needs religion? What we need is some spirituality. But you need to know no one was more down on religion than Jesus himself. If you actually read the life of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, notice who he actually picks fights with. It's not the people who are down and out. It's not the people who are struggling. It's not the people on the fringe. It's not even people who were of other faiths. It's the people Jesus is always picking fights with are, 
are the people who are the most scrupulous about their religious observance, the people who are most scrupulous about their doctrine, who had opinions about everything and who were careful to follow all of the rules. Those were the people that Jesus just couldn't get along with. In fact, one of the most devastating critiques of religion that Jesus made is, is perhaps one of his most famous parables. You know the parable of the Good Samaritan? You know, it's, 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 it's a famous story, and, uh, but, but, but if you don't read it closely, you don't realize what he's really doing is showing the limitations of religion. Because what's happening is a guy is, is walking from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he gets beat up, he gets mugged, he's left by the side of the road, and he looks like he might be dead or dying. And two very religious people, a priest and a Levite, walk by, and they both look at him and say, you know, I'm late for a meeting. I'm late for church, I can't stop and help this guy. And so they, they just keep going. And then a Samaritan comes by, and the Samaritans were the heretics. The Samaritans, the, the Samaritans were the people on the fringes, the people on the outside who, who didn't have their doctrine right, who didn't worship at the right place or in the right way, who were all confused about, about the truth of religion. But it's a Samaritan who stops, who picks the guy up, and who helps him recover from his injuries. And so Jesus ends this by saying, who is the one who, who was his neighbor? And they say, and, and the answer is the one who had mercy on him. So Jesus himself, more than anybody, was one who critiqued religion and one who had no time for fake religion. And so, Spiritual but not religious seems like a good place to land in our modern age because it seems like everybody recognizes we need some kind of spiritual input in our life, some kind of spiritual encounter, some kind of spiritual grounding in our life where we're going to make it through life as it is. A true atheist, a true materialist who doesn't believe in any of that is really sort of a quirky exception to the rule because most average people we recognize we need something in our life to help us deal with the challenges and deal with the heartache and deal with the difficulties that life throws at us. And that's why even as church attendance is down, there's a rise in various spiritual practices and interest in spiritual practices from yoga to meditation to retreats and even learning how to pray in a, in a non-religious or non-orthodox way. You know, one of the places where this really comes to light is in the recovery movement. One of the basic principles of recovery of AA or NA, if you're familiar with those groups, is that addiction, when we struggle with it, is first and foremost a spiritual problem that we've got to work through. As they say, religion is for people who are afraid of going to hell, and spirituality is for people who've already been there. And... All of this, it's really adopted from Eastern religion, pantheism, you know, it's a sort of a, a, a form of Buddhism or Hinduism that's adopted for American individualism so it's palatable to us. You know, this idea that we can meet God anywhere, anytime, you know, I don't go to church, I meet God on the beach. Have you ever heard that? Or for me, church is being out on my boat and fishing on Sunday morning or climbing on to a mountaintop or just being on my couch and saying my prayers. That's 
That, that's the idea of spirituality as we know it. And, and what that reflects is what we call an extremely eminent view of God. Eminence is this idea that God is everywhere. If you just open yourself up to him, he will come to you and you can speak to him and he hears you and you can feel his presence and he can guide you and he can, he can be at work on you. And there's no need for a guru. There's no need for a preacher. There's no need for a grace group. There's no need for a priest or rituals or tradition or any kind of re religion. No need even to get out of bed. Just lie there and let God know what you're thinking and what you're feeling and he will hear you. So that's the eminence of modern religion as we know it. Now, in contrast to eminence, there is the transcendent religion, which is which was the uh, heritage of the ancient Near East, of which the Old Testament religion is was part of the uh, system there, where you had a temple and you had a priesthood. And if you wanted to approach God, you had to do it a certain way and you had to offer a sacrifice and you had to do it at certain times and in certain places because God was not someone who was instantly accessible to everybody. And uh, you know, the Jewish tradition, if you've read the Old Testament, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, that's an example of this idea of a God who is profoundly transcendent. And that's why Moses and Aaron set up the tabernacle and they set up a priesthood and they had a protocol for the sacrifices that, that had to be offered and they had these special days when people were, were supposed to come and approach God and, and, and offer their sacrifices and participate in all of these rituals because, because they recognized that God was transcendent and we approach him not on our terms but on his terms. And... And if you want to connect with a transcendent God, it's always going to be something of a challenge. It's going to be the way he dictates, when he dictates, where he dictates. And that makes sense in a sense because, you know, you think about it, if you're going to meet with a transcendent person, it's going to be a little complicated. I mean, imagine the president of the United States wanted to meet with you, wanted to get your opinion on uh, life, life out in uh, eastern Long Island. If you want to go meet with him, you don't just expect him to uh, show up at your house when you're in your pajamas and, you know, you make him a cup of coffee and talk to him a little bit about life. If you're going to meet with the president, you're probably going to go to where he is and you're going to go with the time and place that he appoints and you're going to have to go through a process, a vetting process, just to get into the room with him. And when you go, you're not going to wear your pajamas probably. You're going to dress the part and you're going to be prepared for the event and you're going to have an appointment and you're going to take that appointment and when that appointment's over you're going to have to leave so we recognize that there is this this transcendence that 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 we see in other places and when we let go of it in religion we find it in other things you know i, I think one place a lot of people find it is in artistic performances and musical performances to see musical greatness to see a really talented music, musician play great music. Sometimes for a lot of people, that can become something of a spiritual experience. And also we create these sacred places. I don't know if any of you are Yankee fans or if you've been to Yankee Stadium, but that's kind of a transcendent place. But within Yankee Stadium, there's the Holy of Holies. It's Monument Park. 
Have you ever been there? If you get there an hour before uh, the first pitch, you can go into Monument Park. And, you know, as boisterous as you might be in the rest of Yankee Stadium, when you go to Mon Monument Park, you don't bring your beer and you're not joking around with your buddies. You go in there and it's, it's, it's wild because everyone's quiet in there. And you go up and you're like, ah, oh, Babe Ruth. And you read the, the little biography on the plaque and you're like, Lou Gehrig, Mickey Mantle, Yogi Berra. And, and it's this sacred place because... We're all looking for transcendence, and if we can't find it in God, we'll find it in transcendent baseball players or something, because we need to have that. I think that's the reason for the rise of this celebrity culture that's a part of American life as we know it, where people become famous for being famous, and we just follow these people. We're not quite sure why they're famous, but we know we got to stay interested, and we got to be able to talk about what they're doing and why they're doing it and what's going to happen to them, because... Uh, because they can just kind of captivate our attention. I think it's also one of the reasons that our politics, honestly, has become so dysfunctional, because we don't just elect government functionaries to keep the lights on and to keep the roads clear. Now we're looking for the new Messiah, someone who we can put our hope in that they're going to change everything and make, make everything all better. So we seek transcendence in all these different places. And dare I mention, sometimes we seek transcendence or we find transcendence through our dysfunctional relationships, through our addictive behavior, because we just can't handle life on its own terms. But all of that, I believe, reflects us looking for transcendence somewhere. If it's not in our religion, if it's not in our spirituality, it's going to be somewhere. What the Christian faith offers us, what the New Testament offers us, is extreme eminence and extreme transcendence at the same time. A God who's so great and so above and beyond us that we can't begin to know him unless he first comes to us. A God who's so holy and so righteous that there's no effort, no rule, no sacrifice, no ceremony that can get us to him unless he makes the provision. A God who's so grand that no temple, no place can contain him. The heavens are his throne and the earth is his footstool. That's the picture of the God of the Bible, a God who's so far above and beyond us that it's impossible for us to reach him. It's impossible for us to go to him. It's impossible for us to communicate to, with him. It's impossible for us to connect to him in our own resources. But that God is a God who came down, a God who came down to us, came from heaven to earth, who became one of us, so committed to having a relationship with us, so committed to knowing us that he walked with us, he became one of us, and then he sacrificed himself for us. He's so transcendent that nothing less than his own sacrifice of himself could connect us to him, but he's so eminent that he became one of us and gave himself for us. And so the Christian faith as we live it, the Christian faith as it's presented in the New Testament is more eminent and more transcendent than anything this world can synthesize. That's why we can wake up in the middle of the night and start worrying about our job or worrying about our kids or worrying about our parents or whatever it is we're worrying about and in the middle of the night, in the dark, 
we don't need to get up and go anywhere or do anything. We can just start saying our prayers, praying to God and sharing to God the very things that we're worried about. And he'll hear us and he'll answer us and we'll feel his presence right then and right there. That's why Jesus said, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. Jesus came down, he's God incarnate, and he says to his first disciples, I no longer call you servants, now I want to call you friends. Jesus says to his disciples, when you pray from now on, pray to God and say, Father in heaven. He invites us to address God as Father. He invites us to consider him a friend. The great criticism of Jesus is that he was a friend of sinners. And so in the Christian faith, we find that eminence we're looking for, even as we see the transcendence that we know that we need. I think that's part of the function of the Lord's Supper. On the one hand, the Lord's Supper, we're imagining and we're, we're thinking and we're receiving by faith the body of Christ broken for us, the blood of Christ shed for us. And God is, is present with us and the Holy Spirit is present with us as we partake of these very natural elements, the bread and the wine, the juice and the cracker, remind us and restore our faith and renew our faith in God and his, uh, and his presence with us. And this brings me to a lowly church gathering. What are we doing here? Why do we gather? Why is church important? We've gotten out of the habit. Can't we get all of this some other way? And Peter gives us a picture of what is going on here. He says, as you come to him, as you come to Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also are like living stones being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Living stones. You know what the living stones are? You are the living stones. We come together and we form a spiritual house full of living stones where we can offer those sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so the, the humblest church meeting in the humblest circumstances, believers come together to worship and to pray to God and to call out to God becomes a temple of God Almighty. That's why in the Christian tradition, these buildings aren't temples. We don't consider a church building a temple. And I know the story, you know, I've been friends with Mark a long time. I know all the sacrifice and all the commitment that so many of you put into making this building the home of your church. But the building isn't the temple. You and I are the temple. We're the living stones and we come together to become a spiritual house in which God dwells by his spirit. So something supernatural is happening here, whether you feel it or not, whether you sense it or not, whether you believe it or not. We all, like living stones, are coming together to become a spiritual house in which God lives by his spirit. We're offering up spiritual sacrifices to God. And so the transcendence and the eminence comes together. In this individualistic age, it's, prop, it's popular to say I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. But one of the things that I find is, is you can't really experiencing 
experience that reality alone. You know, there's some things we're looking for, there's some things we need that we can't experience alone, that we don't experience alone. You know, we have transcendent experiences. You go to a game, you go to a concert, you go to a political rally or something like that, and you feel the energy in the crowd. And that's just a foretaste, that's just a, an imitation of the real dynamic that happens when God's people gather, when God's spirit comes and dwells among us and God works through us and God works in us and we're part of something that's bigger than ourselves. We're part of this local church, we're part of the church universal and we're offering spiritual sacrifices to God and we're doing what God has called us to do in this world. We're not, no longer individuals, we've got a new identity. And he sums it up here. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Because we've received mercy, the transcendent God has become, become our friend and become our father, and we can walk with him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that we, when we couldn't come up to you, you came down to us. I pray that we would experience that by faith. I pray that that would be our existential experience, even as we gather with our church family as we worship you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.